Hey, it's me, Daryl Etherington, news editor at TechCrunch, and I'm here with my co-host and my classmate, my tutor, my... Teacher, really. Mentor? A teacher, yeah, that's right. My guidance counselor, Jordan Crook, managing editor at TechCrunch. Yes. And really, at the end of the day, I learn everything that I know from you, Daryl. Wow, no, reverse is true, which is why neither of us knows very much. (laughs) (laughs) We're just passing back nothing. (laughs) All right, this week on Found, our flagship podcast here at TechCrunch, the best. (laughs) There isn't a better one. That's right. And if there was, it wouldn't be called Equity. That definitely would not be the name of it. No. I don't know if you've heard that one, but don't listen to it. Listen to ours. (laughs) They, they don't like this, so this is not going to come back to us, but that's fun anyway. This week, though, the theme, I don't know if you got it from our intro joke there, but the theme is education, and we were thrilled to have Amanda Doamaral on the podcast, and she is the co-founder and CEO of Fiveable, which is a online social community platform for students. And they started out with a focus on AP students and getting them together kind of like for after-school activities connected online. But they brought in their focus to all students recently. And I thought it was inspiration, not just from like a founder perspective, but from like a world perspective. And I hope you do too. Oh, and I want to remind people, while we're up here, while we're just, you know, hanging out before this episode goes live, you can call us and tell us if you were inspired or your thoughts on education or whatever you want. Just call us and leave us a voicemail at 510-936-1618. So that's 510-936-1618. You'll hit a voicemail. You can leave a message. And if the message is cool or not cool or whatever, as long as it's PG, I guess, I don't know. Not even. Like, as long as it's not, like, deeply offensive or breaking any laws, we'll probably put it on the show. Yeah, yeah. And we don't even know about all the laws. So maybe it breaks one that we don't know about. Yeah, we're not great on that stuff. But we're desperate to hear from you. Call us, please. Yes. But for now, let's get back to Amanda and hear all about Fiveable and her experience as a founder. Hey, Amanda, thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? I mean, great. It's going great. Better now. <laughs> better now. Better now. Yeah. Yeah. Really looking forward to chatting with you. I mean, it's it's always better when you explain it because I'll probably do a terrible job. So do you want to give us a breakdown of what Fiveable is and, and kind of a quick summary of how you started it? Definitely. Yeah. So Fiveable is a social learning platform for high school students and we really think about it as a way for students to connect with each other. And so it's sort of like, you know, you think about the gaps that kids have in school and what it means to be after school and what how tech can really connect the kids in a community that actually like they really work together to support their academics, their well-being and future planning. That's what we care about the most. And I, I was a teacher before building Fiveable. And so it's really kind of come out of my experience in the classroom and almost like an effort to scale my classroom in a way. Nice. Cool. Yeah. That I saw th- was, was most interesting kind of when I was checking out your CV there on LinkedIn. That's the secret to all my research, everyone. It's not really in depth. <laughs> but, I just uh, imagine you like in a library, just like Dewey decimaling yeah, your way yeah. to more information on Fiveable. Yeah, I get the reference collection. Uh-huh. Like, okay, what do you got? But like, we, we talked to a lot of ed tech people in the course of our jobs, I think. And like, what's surprising is that very few of them are actually teachers or have a teaching background. So I thought that was really cool that you have that experience, right? So 
I mean, I'd love to hear a bit more about what that was like for you and what, what that did to prompt you to be like, well, I think we need to do more and, and start the company, right? Yeah. So I, I taught in Oakland. I taught ninth and 10th grade history for five years. So I was there from 2012 to 2017. Now feels like a different era of being a teacher. But I think for me, I, I had kind of gone through college, like studying education, knew I was going to be a teacher, became a teacher, loved the kids and the creative freedom. And I got to do a lot of really cool things in my classroom and, and really push things for them in order to like make a difference for how the students were interacting with, with school. But I think ultimately I got really frustrated too, because I felt like my students needed so many things. My textbooks were outdated. My classroom was too hot. I physically could not get Chromebooks in my classroom because I didn't have a ramp, which obvious ADA violations, but also it meant that I like literally could not get my students computers. And that was, I was like in the shadows of Silicon Valley out here, just like, and my students don't know what the tab button does. It, it was like endlessly frustrating. I think what the problem was that the school was always like, oh, like maybe next year, you know, maybe later. It was never like a, what can we do today to help the kids tomorrow? And so I eventually, I mean, I eventually just kind of burnt out because eventually you're screaming and shouting and you feel like you can't make an impact beyond, you know, these 120 students. And so it was sort of like post 2016 election. I just was like, this doesn't feel like enough for me. Like I need to find some way to make a bigger impact. And I really didn't know what that would look like, but kind of found my way into, into startups as I was really like kind of understanding the problems I wanted to solve. Was it because you were in that kind of like that area, like in the Bay area and you saw like, Oh, I mean, there's a lot of startups going on or like, how did you think of that as the solution? I guess it really was like, I sort of left the Bay area and then kind of found my way. So I honestly had, I think something that people in tech forget is how many people there are that have no idea what's going on in tech. Yeah. Yeah. I and forget that all the time until I say I reference something on Twitter and people are like, what are you talking about? What's the Twitter? Right. <laughs> right. Like how many people like still don't know what clubhouse is and we've all kind of like gone the ups and downs of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like for me, I, I, j I had no idea what startups were investing, what any of this stuff was. I had left, I had traveled for a while. I was working on a congressional campaign and then I just had started tinkering around. I had some former students that were asking me for help. And so I was like, yeah, of course, like, what can I do today to help you for tomorrow? And so that kind of led me down a path of really learning about creators and building content online and marketing. And I just, it was like all these light bulbs went off in my head. And I was just like, so energized by how much like I almost thought of it as like a runway that I had of just how much I could learn there was an endless number of things I could learn about in order to support my students in ways that I didn't even know were possible right. and so it, it really was at that point that I I moved back home with my mom that was sort of my like you know <laughs> she didn't invest but she was like come on live back home like won't charge you rent yeah yeah I mean that's a form of support that's a form of funding right? form support. yeah yeah, hugs every day, you know, just like the works. And so <laughs> that was the moment where I, it still took several months before I think Viable really became a startup, but it was the beginning of realizing what was possible and what, realizing what I didn't even know nice. existed. Yeah, I think that's actually like, 
because you know i think about those same things like i think about the other kind of attitude and me and jordan probably have more of this just because we're kind of like inundated on the day-to-day and we're also journalists by nature are jaded let's say cynical <laughs> yeah that was okay yeah but like we see a lot of this stuff and we go, not another like vector for evil or misinformation or whatever else, right? And you get kind of like that like persistent negative view of these new technologies as they come along. But it sounds like you were like really energized by them. You were like, these are so many ways that I can reach people that we didn't have to reach before or that we can like help with like positive education and assistance for, for students. So how, like, do you just naturally have that disposition or like, how do you kind of like avoid seeing the, the, the downside of it so much as the primary part of it, I guess. Mm. I mean, I think I, I'm critical too, right? Like Mm. I'm as a teacher, I think, I think a lot about how students are interacting with different technologies and what different networks have, have done for our society and our world. But but I think for me, there was this moment of like, like I had never really live streamed before. I hadn't, you know, I obviously used YouTube, but I never thought about recording videos or what that process would look like. Or I had started to learn about SEO and like creating content and just all these different things that like teachers don't know about those things. Like those are, that's a big gap. And so I think it was, for me, it was just like, it became this like way that I could scale my impact. Like I didn't just have the students that I knew anymore. I could all of a sudden reach students that were around the world yeah. and I could connect them to each other. And that felt so powerful and exciting. And I, I just was like, you know, I loved learning. And so for me, it was also just like a lot of new things to learn about. And that was really exciting too. And so I've just, I was like totally consumed by just all of it. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, it's cool to think about the like networks of students and the networks that they form among themselves too, as like a a key support structure or like a key way to actually actively learn and grow. Right. Like I think the models are more like, okay, well, this will be like delivered to you from professionals and you hear about the school system and the emphasis is on educators. But I don't think a lot of attention is paid to what benefits students can provide one another right so like how how did you see that was that direct from your experience teaching definitely was i saw like top-down models as a teacher as kind of detrimental to the students Mm. because there were teachers who were blockers who like would stand in the way of supports for students who would say things like no no my students don't need that i'm a good teacher and i'd be like hmm like, <laughs> I feel like that your students could use more supports. And so, at the, or the school would, would say like, you know, we're not going to get that. We're not going to explore this. And the students didn't even necessarily know that what they were missing out on. Right. And so I, I've felt like, especially since I've been building these communities, what's really powerful is this like bottoms up community approach that all of a sudden, if you put two students in the same room and they're, they're just kind of studying next to each other, they're in a study group, they start to realize, like, what is that class you're studying for? Like, why doesn't my school offer that class? Right. Right. And, like, that means that students will then be – it gives us, us a way to, like, really empower them, to help them organize. Because right now I think a lot of them don't even know – the things that they have are not okay and that we could be doing better. And for like myriad reasons, I've been learning a lot about this lately, but like confidence is such a huge thing, right? Like for a student, cause like I, it's only been in the last like 10, 15 years that we've realized how 
differently like children learn right like it really isn't a one-size-fits-all so that teacher that's like no no they don't need any more supports because i'm a good teacher yeah like maybe for 60 percent of the students right and there's a reason why the other 40 percent aren't getting good grades it's not necessarily a value judgment on either side it's just you need certain kids need different things and it feels like kids would be able to give each other that confidence but also maybe detract it like how do you kids can be vicious to each other too, right? Like, oh, you're stupid. Why don't you get that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you think about that, Amanda? And like, when you think about these kids, like learning from one another and interacting as they study and learn and ensuring that like, whatever happens on Fiveable, whatever happens on those networks is positive, right? And is supportive. Yeah. Confidence is, is like our number one thing that we care about. Like, I don't care about grades, test scores, none of the other stuff. I think confidence really is the thing that allows a student to then say like, I'm going to take this class, even though it is going to be hard. Or when you hear even adults say things like, I, oh, I'm not good at math or I'm not good at geography. That's a confidence Mm -hmm. thing, right? Like anybody can be good at anything. Mm -hmm. You may not like it. You may not want to spend time with it and that's fine. But the reason why you say that is because someone in your past or something happened that told you that you weren't good enough. And then it becomes so internalized. And so I think the way that I always felt about students was just like fundamentally students all want the same things. They, people want the same things. They are, they want to be, you know, accepted. They want to be, feel a sense of belonging. They want to make their people proud. They want to do something that's important for them. And I think about students as just like they can, any kid can learn anything. Any kid can do anything. And so we've sort of set the, I feel like we've set the vibe of our community in that way. Mm. And another thing that we do is I think a lot of different schools and platforms have this like initial mistrust of young people. They assume the worst in them. We don't do that. We really think the opposite. We really assume the best in students and we give the students a lot of leadership. So they... They are, they work on our team. They have paid positions on our team. They work within the community spaces. They lead a lot of different events. And I think we just like kind of really, we, we really emphasize the point that we, we respect the kids. We, I really believe that 99% of the students are, are going to add value to this space. And maybe there's someone that's going to troll or going to do something and that, that'll happen. It does happen. But as long as we can get the students to start to really like, they can use the peer pressure in a good way, right? It becomes like, you know, hey, you know, we're we're really trying to support each other here. Like maybe we shouldn't use that language. And we've seen that. We've seen the kids do that. They start to check each other. And then, you know, obviously for us, like we also have ways to deal with the knuckleheads that that don't listen to that, right? Like (laughs) said like a real teacher calling them a knucklehead. I would have so many other words. (laughs) (laughs) They are, right? Like sometimes they're just, they're just kids. They like, they, you know, they're just being silly. And so we have to find a way to also like teach them, you know, use everything as like kind of a, a learning moment, but, but also providing like safety measures in the community space too. Well, and like nine times out of 10, when a kid's being like a quote knucklehead, like it's their own insecurity issue too, right? Like that's an opportunity right. to be like, yes. what are you worried about? You know, that's like making you feel like you need yeah. to exactly. knock someone else down. And to your early point, Amanda, it's like a lot of them have only encountered that other, that defensive stance where they come into a situation and essentially the authority figure is already has already made the assumption that they're going to be 
trouble. So like they don't know. And then, but then if you come along and you're like, we're going to hand you responsibility and you can make choices. And if you make a different choice, maybe it feels better if you do it that way or whatever. Right. And they start to learn those behaviors where they were never given that opportunity before. Exactly. It's all about a growth mindset. It's just like, you know, anytime a kid is in the classroom, that's not engaged there's something, like you said, there's some, something's going on, right? Like they don't feel safe or they don't feel like they're respected. Like they're going to push back on those things. And that can come from a lot of trauma of past classrooms of things going on at home. Like there's so many things that are involved in that. And so as a teacher and as like community leaders, like it's on us to then to just try to see the kid for a human, they're a person, they're going through a bunch of stuff. Like how can we help them navigate it in a way that they are welcome in this space. One of the questions that I have is around like, it feels, this is just an assumption, but it feels a little bit like sometimes Daryl and I experience this a lot where sometimes a founder comes up and they're like, I have this idea. And it's one of these like super obvious ideas that goes like the thesis flows perfectly into very obvious, clear trend, right? Like they maybe come with like whatever their Stanford degree or whatever. And it's really easy for those folks to get funding, right? And then there are some founders who come along and their thesis is like very hidden, right? Like like you said, we approach like younger students as normally from that defensive standpoint of like, what are you lying about? What are you not telling me? What are you sneaking around about, right? Mm-hmm. And to come in and say like, not only should we not behave that way, but like they can teach one another, like they can gain confidence from one another, like free and accessible resources will like actually be like a big business. Like there are so many things that feel counterintuitive to what like a VC would want to hear. And so I'm just curious how it was for you going into that like fundraising process and trying to pitch this company at, at its earliest days, knowing that like you were onto something, you have conviction in it, you've come from that, that world and understand it. And yet the majority of the people around you are going to be like, no, you're wrong. You know, like, I'm, I don't I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. It's still hard. I mean, the first funding that we raised, it took like a year to ra- mm-hmm. to close a pre-seed round. And now I see people raising millions of dollars on, you know, nothing, right? Like they have some idea or they have, we had traction, we had a small team, we had, we were all like totally committed. It was like all these things. And I faced a lot of different obstacles in raising. Some of that was that the business and the idea itself was not resonating with people, especially pre-COVID, because of exactly what you're saying. Like, why don't you just sell to schools? Why don't you just sell to the rich kids? Why don't you just, you know, why don't you just do tutoring? And it's like, I don't want to do any of that. We're doing it wrong. And so I'm trying to like, you know, approach this in a different way. The other issue that I faced was that I was not always seen as the entrepreneur. I wasn't like always assumed to be that person. Like there was one time I walked in a room of angel investors and they were like doing a happy hour in the beginning of it. And this guy literally like handed me his plate because he thought I worked there. Oh my God. You can definitely yeah, name and shame totally on the show. We, we, we encourage <laughs> that. Love to hear the names I mean, it, it was like, it's, it just was like this angel group in Tennessee that we mm-hmm. had, we were just like trying to find someone that believed Putting in us. And like, come on down, on come pitch. Quick. Hold on, angel group in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. It was super frustrating yeah. because it was just, it was the perfect example of like, if I walk into a place and people don't assume that I am an entrepreneur, 
then they're not going to give me their money, right? Like, how are they going to trust me with that? I think for people of color, there's your like ethnicity comes first. They don't, they don't trust that you can do it. And so, and I also didn't have a background in business or go to Stanford. And so it was just like a series of things that were very difficult to raise. And so finding those early supporters was everything. Mm-hmm. And we just couldn't give up. We just had to be so clear on what we needed to do and why. Post-COVID, I think things have changed a little bit because I think the conversations around community, online learning, ed tech being, you know, there's several like unicorns now in ed tech. So people have started to shift direct to consumer even. There's definitely been some huge trends that we were sort of, you know, right place, right time in. And I think that I can see others like catching up to my thesis, my vision of what right. we need. When you were going into those meetings and doing that, like how did you, because I mean, it's, it's difficult for founders who I guess fit the profile, right? Fit like the expectations that a lot of investors have. Like, well, sadly, which are, they're not as used to rejection either, right? So like even one no from an investor is like the first yeah. no they've heard in their whole life. Whereas there are people who are yeah, more so resilient maybe from their experience who are like, uh-huh. Maybe you're more yeah. resilient, but basically that's what I was asking. Like, like, how do you like take that extra level of sort of derision and then just continue on, right? And like have the the resilience to keep going. At first, when you hear a lot of no's and you're not, something I wasn't used to hearing no's. I was, you know, kind of expecting it, but I wasn't sure what to do about it because I was new to the space. Mm-hmm. Any advice that people would give me, I would really listen to. Like if some investor is like, oh, you should think about doing it this way. You should think about doing it this way. At first I was like, you know, I'd come back to my team and be like, you guys, like we should really think about doing it this way. And we would kind of like ebb and flow like that. And then after a few months, I, there was this moment that I did this program with folks in DC. And I, I just, it gave me this, like, it gave me this confidence that I like preach about to the students of like, I got, we got to stop listening to what other people think we mm-hmm. should do. We need to just like, you know, sit down and write it out of the things that we truly care about. And instead of when they ask something, I don't need to give them the answer they want. I need to give them the answer that is true for us. Right. And that that took some time to build that kind of confidence for ourselves. But as soon as we did, we started hearing more yeses, I think, because we I think that confidence was clearer, you know, like and even now when I talk to founders who are just getting started, I can hear this in them. You hear like, they'll say like, you know, oh, we can do these 10 things. And I want to be like, you're not going to do those 10 things. So which one are you actually going to do? Right. Because you're better off just saying, this is what we're going to build and this is how. Because if then, if people invest in your actual vision, then when you actually play it out, they're going to stick with you. If they invest in something that you told them, and then you start to shift towards what you actually want to do. Right. Then they're going to pull away. Yeah. Yeah. I think there can be a tendency to just want to get the yes. Right. And it's, I think it suits you well in like different roles. I mean, arguably in sales roles, like that's, that's probably a better skill and maybe you can cajole the thing. But with a investor relationship, like you said, it's like such a long-term thing. And as soon as it starts to kind of like, doesn't match up at all with what was promised or whatever. And that doesn't even mean strategy or product, right? Because a lot of investors are very happy to pivot and change different directions, but it's more that end goal that you're trying to achieve, like you were saying. So like, yeah, be upfront about that, be direct and be clear and don't, don't avoid the temptation to be like, I just want to get the yes, right? Like that's I not going to work like out. I think there's like even a, a further layer to that, right? Like, cause we're just talking about like the standard of going in to talk to investors who always have 
like their two cents, right? They're like, oh, but if you did it this way, it would be successful. And every founder experiences that. But I think there's a, another layer to it that you you were talking about, Amanda, which is being a woman, being a person of color and coming into those. I know that for myself, I mean, like I have the privilege of being white, but I've had people tell me like, you need to change this or that, right? About the way that you present yourself or you do X, Y, or Z. And you feel like, okay, well, maybe I should. Right. And then there's this like tension of like, but the world shouldn't be like that. So, no, I shouldn't. But then my success hinges on doing it. But then, you know, I need to stand up for it. And it's like this back and forth, like you're talking about this, like ebb and flow. And I just I, I love the idea, like you were talking about this exercise of like writing down exactly what it is that you like stand for and like what your kind of belief system is, your ideology is, your vision is and just like having it, having something physical in your hand, where in those moments, you're like, no, 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 North Star, you know, that like, kind of, do you still do that, Amanda? Like, do, are you, is that like an ongoing yeah. thing? It definitely is. And it's also, uh, we've also started a list of who we're not. Hmm. Because that's been important too. In a lot of spaces, and this is very much true for education, there's so many problems to solve. And sometimes the choice that we're making is not saying that like, that thing shouldn't exist. It's just saying like, we're not going to be the ones to build it. And so like when it comes to things that support teachers and classrooms that support schools that are a little bit more top down, there are things that should definitely exist, but we are not building that. And so we just have to make it clear to ourselves, to our team, to our investors, like we're not going to be pushed into that direction. I don't, you know, that's just not who we are. So I, like to get to back to your point too, I think it's just, it's so important for especially underrepresented folks to push back on the norms because the ways that any of these systems were built were just not for us. And so we're going to run up to things that are very male dominated, white dominated, like heteronormative, like these are things that are going to happen. And so the more that we say, no, that's not how we're going to do it. We're going to do this in a different way and just try to stay stay true to that. And it's like, I don't need the people in power to give me permission to build this. I can build this. And if I can prove to them that it's working, that's what's going to matter. And I think that's how we could actually make change and why like people of color run like really awesome businesses and why it is like such a failure of traditional investors to not invest in them because we're seeing things from a different lens. And that will inherently lead to whole bunch of success down the road. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found the name of this podcast during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one year or a two year subscription. 
a lot of investors will talk about like, oh, well, we have like a thesis or we have this or whatever. But then they'll also tell us like, you know, when it comes down to it, when I make the decision in the room, I'm making a gut decision based on my impression of the person in front of me and my lived experience. Right. And you're like, what? But that it's like a very clear decision bias that is like so problematic and wrong, like just statistically. And yet everybody kind of like falls back on it. Right. And, the, and they can say all they want about like algorithms or whatever else they put into play when formulating their thesis. But time and time again, they admit that's there. Right. So like, do you, do you call it out directly to people when you are in the room with them? Like, Hey, by the way, like I've heard that this is a tendency people have, but like, this is not what the data shows or like, how do you address mm-hmm. those things when you know that they're there and in kind the of, moment, at play? you know, like, I feel like that's the hardest time, yeah. but it's also like tends to be the most effective, right? Like with anything else. Yeah. It's super hard because I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to call people out no matter what. And especially when they're in a place of power. Right. So what I've tried to do is just generally like, just try to understand that this is not personal. This is an investor is just making a bet. You know, they're saying I'm going to put my money here and not over there. And so if they don't want to bet on me, on my team, on this vision, on this product, then there are, there are times where I've pitched where I felt like, okay, that's fair. I don't think this is going to be a good match. Like, and there's other times where I felt immediately like they made a mistake. Like they are going to regret this at some point. And sometimes they come back and they say that they regret it. And if anything, we just kind of use that as like fuel for ourselves of just like the people who I think should have invested. They, I want to make sure that they remember saying no. And then the other thing is I think just finding people who like at, the end of the day too, like if I'm building this business, I'm creating wealth for other people. And so who do I want to create that wealth for? I don't want to create it for those angel investors in Tennessee. They don't deserve my success. And so I also just try to see it in that way too, of like, you know, I may not be able to say anything in the moment, but I do have power too. It's not just them. And I can use that, you know, even later on as I'm able to like kind of prove myself. The one thing that I will push back on sometimes is when they ask questions that, I can tell are just not coming from a place of like understanding. We historically have supported AP students, for example. And sometimes as we're shifting to be all of high school, we'll get questions of like, well, how are you going to deal with the unmotivated non-AP kids? And I'm like, that is just assuming that- If you're not an AP, that you're not motivated. Exactly. Like that's coming from like a, just a, a very like entrenched- understanding of how tracking works at school and i know what they're actually saying and it's like they don't know and that for me is just a flag so and then i'm just like all right well if that's how you're thinking about this then we're not going to make good partners because you right. don't see students the same way i do and you don't see the education system the same way either right like you're you you exactly. essentially if you're thinking that anyone who's they've already not, accepted the flaws that exist if you're not yeah. in ap right. that means that you in some way are not making this system that is perfect work for you right and so that shows a lack of motivation as opposed to like maybe they're you know flaws in the system itself that could be addressed by a platform like fiveable hello yes exactly i'm like that's the problem we're trying to solve so like i can't i can't with that kind of question (laughs) (laughs) it drives me insane and and i get it like quite a few times and and every time i'm i will sometimes call that out to like push back that's good because then even if 
like it, like if you walk away you both walk away but at least they have something to think about and you're hoping like maybe maybe they'll get over that at some point right like maybe they'll yes. look into like why did she say that right and there's something strategic too like and, and i talk to investors particularly female investors and i will get into long conversations about how male founders feel really really comfortable pushing back in investor meetings right like oh no you're wrong you know to like the guy who's holding the checkbook and that women tend to struggle with that, right? Women tend to struggle with saying, I don't know. Like, I don't know can be really sexy out of the mouth of a young man, right? Like, oh, I don't know. The possibilities are endless, right? And out of a woman, it's like, why don't you know every single thing about every single thing? But I think that nine out of 10 investors really like getting pushed back on a little bit, right? Like, they, yeah. that confidence gives them confidence. You know, it's contagious. Yeah. I mean, and that that's exactly the thing that I've learned over time is like, especially when you're not, you know, don't have a traditional background. I think it's easy to think like, maybe this person knows more than I do. And so maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. And I think over time, we've just gained a lot more confidence and being and just being able to say like, I don't agree with that. I think that this is right. And, you know, we're all I mean, in startups, it is a bunch of bets. And so we may both be wrong. I may be wrong. I don't know. But like, this is the bet I'm going to take. And this is why I think this is the best decision. And I do think that investors like, they like to see that you are grounded in, in your plans, but also that you can be collaborative too. Like mm -hmm. people want to yeah. work, you know, in partnership, not, will this person take advice, you know? I think that happens with vertical specific founders a lot too, right? Like you come from education. And so it's easy to walk into like, you know, any office on Sand Hill Road and feel like, oh, I don't know how Silicon Valley does things. When in reality, like you are the expert on what it is you're talking about. Like we had an episode of Extra Crunch Live recently, the founder of Retail Zipline, who had spent like 15 years in like retail, including apparel retail, was coming in and she was like, I was so insecure starting this company. It's like, why? You know, like, you know exactly what you're <laughs> building. Like, you know the customer, you know exactly what they want. And it took her a long time to get to that point as well. So I think that that's, that can be like a common thing for a lot of founders is like, even though they come from this industry and they know exactly what they're talking about, they believe 100% in their thesis. It's just like, oh, I'm not a tech startup person. So like, I don't really know. Like, yep. no, you know better than they do. You know, I was talking to someone yesterday that was like coming from nonprofits and she was like, I have, I know this exact problem that people need to solve in raising money in nonprofits and no one seems to get it. And I don't know what to do next. And I was like, build it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, wait, I can just do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Hell yeah. Like go build it, like make the whole thing. And, and I think that's exactly the, that confidence right there. I love working with young people because if you can get a young person to feel that of like, I could actually just do whatever I want. I can build it. I can go work in this job. I can, whatever it is that I think is the best path, I could just do it. Like it is really powerful. And so even for people that come to that moment later, and for me, it was, you know, in my late twenties realizing like, I could just build this. Like, what if I just take a bet on myself? So I'm I'm hopeful that more people have that moment. Yeah, yeah. I think that's super powerful. I mean, I, mean, I think I think me and Jordan should We're have that. We're super no, confident. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us out here just building yeah. the media brand of tomorrow. Be, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, that's so good, and it, it's like 
It's one of those things where you, because if you, in your specific case, like you look at your CV and you're like, if I was looking at a biotech startup, for instance, right? Like, and they came to me and they were like, okay, we're going to do whatever crazy therapeutics thing. More often than not, I look at the founders backgrounds and there's no, there's no one with a biotech found. I'm like, well, I don't understand this. I don't understand how, where you could come with this, but whenever there is, I'm like reassured, like super reassured. I'm like, great. And I feel like that's a common experience for investors too, but it's crazy to me that that's not, it doesn't seem like it's taken into consideration in an area like education, right? Where like you have a background in an education, education, education in pedagogy, right? Like you have real knowledge of actual, like the fundamentals and mm -hmm. people don't seem to take that as seriously. Like, I feel like they'll take more seriously, like a white guy who walks in, who's like, you know, my niece had this experience <laughs> at school and I thought it was and then therefore and that's like come I on i used to like, be an investment <laughs> banker yeah. by the way you know like that's what you hear all the <laughs> yeah, time yeah, yeah yeah one of the problems <laughs> in education is that teachers are not seen as experts that's generally true like that's why you will hear people say things like oh if you what is it like if you can't do then teach then teach right yeah, yeah teaching is so hard it's an entire like job that you have to build very specific skills for and people don't respect teachers but also everybody has experience in education because you were a student and, you know, maybe you have kids who are, who are students, you know, students, you know, teachers, you have relationships with schools. And so at the same time, everyone thinks they're an expert in education, even though it's so far from the truth. Like your experience was one experience. That doesn't mean that you know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And you see it. I mean, you see it in the anecdotal parent teacher interviews like i haven't been a party to them except as a kid or whatever but like <laughs> you hear all the time like the parents come in and are like well yeah i i have these notes for you i suspect you're doing all these things wrong right and it's like okay i think maybe you have a single yeah secondhand frame of reference uh, of, of which you are incredibly biased towards right like you, you're <laughs> it's misinformation 101 kids Gosh, yeah. I have a question, Amanda, that is also based on an assumption. That's kind of how I do things. So <laughs> the assumption would be that COVID was good for your business, right? That like you experienced a lot of growth. Is that a fair assumption? I mean, we definitely did. I think it sort of just like shoved everything towards what we were doing. What could have taken 10 years took, you know, a week. Which was like a crazy week, I assume, or a wild a lot week. Of I'm actually trying really hard not to use the word crazy anymore. A wild yeah. week. So can you talk to me a little bit about like what, what that was like, right? Like all of a sudden you have this like five-year horizon or 10-year horizon of like, we want to hit these KPIs. And then the world accelerates. Everything kind of changes and topples on its head. Like you have you know, a bunch of things happening. One, your business is probably growing insanely. Two, you have like employees that you're trying to take care of. Everyone's scared for their lives, you know, like, I mean, it just seems like it would have been a really, really hectic time to, it was a hectic time to be anyone, but particularly an entrepreneur behind a high growth business in a sector where everything changed overnight. Can you just like talk a little bit about what that was like and how you handled it? Yeah, it it was really hard. Sometimes I think about that, time and just wonder like how the heck we made it through it mm -hmm. we were you know supporting ap students last year and so we were kind of headed into ap season which is usually big for us but i feel like in that march when things first started closing and becoming you know real 
I remember like myself being like really kind of like going through all this, all these like stages of like grief for like a solid week. Like, I mean, it's still like ongoing, obviously, but like, I remember being like sad and frustrated and mad and, and scared and feeling all these things, like seeing a video of like a friend's kids, like video streaming with their grandparents and just being like, kids will never see their grandparents again. Like, just like, just so upset. And I think I kind of like let myself just feel it. And then I started to then kind of come out the other side a little bit and realize that this was a massive opportunity because all of a sudden everybody needed support in ways that I knew they needed before, but people were paying attention now and people were willing to like experiment with new things and take on, you know, just it, for educators to embrace online teaching only could have happened with a miracle. Like right. that was such a blocker. Just like, how do you get schools to like take this seriously? I think it just like forced me to then sit down and then really think like, okay, well, like this is a huge opening. We didn't see this coming. What can we do now that we didn't even think we could? And that sort of led us to like become even more clear in our thesis around social learning and how we could connect students and to pitch a vision for our seed round that was 10 times bigger than the pre-seed round. So I feel like I, I kind of like got myself through those early stages so that then I could, it was like my oxygen mask, right? And then mm. I could like go and support my team and get my team like through that too in a way that was like, you know, we had a lot of support to do with each other for the year. I mean, the entire like Black Lives Matter movement from last summer too was really impactful, like really traumatic for our team. Moving into like, you know, there's so many layers of like trauma that had happened for our team through the whole year. But trying like just really hard to see what could be, see like possibility in like the rubble, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think... I think it just gave us a lot of hope through it that ultimately, like if I didn't have something like Fiveable to really focus on, it just would have been a really hard year. I mean, it, it was a hard year, but it was like I had something, I had purpose. I had something to like really put my time into and and to rally people around that felt in the midst of all of this, we can do something that's really important. Yeah. It's literally like the good can come of this, right? Like that you already knew was going to happen. It just compressed the timeline and made it like, this is now more important than ever. And it's going to happen now when we're still able to be energetic and excited about it, as opposed to being like something that takes us 20 years to realize. And every turn we got to fight everybody tooth and nail to kind of get there, which is maybe what it was looking like before. Right. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So Amanda, like, where are you at now? Like, what's what's kind of like the big next steps for Fiveable, and like, yeah, what does the future hold? I guess. Yeah, so we've you know really been able to kind of solidify like this is who we are and this is what we do, and now we're hitting the gas towards it. And so our next phase is really about becoming the platform where every high school student goes. This is where I go to to meet other people. You can almost think of us as like the hallways of like the educational internet. Hmm. Right. It's like you're hanging out by your lockers, you're chatting with your friends, you're really honest about what you didn't understand in that math class. You're getting your resources to like figure out where you're going to go next. And that's just like really like energizing us is like, how do we how can we connect students? And we 
had just acquired this company two months ago that was actually built by a 16-year-old student. Oh, cool. Which is called Hours, and it was like uh, virtual study sessions. And so even and that's a really exciting piece of it for us too, is like how do we better integrate this and just create this entire ecosystem where it is like the place to go after school. Like you don't need to look for resources anywhere else. You can find other people to work alongside. You can find the resources you need and see how that really moves the needle for, for students. Nice. It sounds like it has so much potential to break down a lot of the silos and do some real like democratization and flattening too of, you know, the, the yes. different qualities of education based on funding and allocations and stuff like that. A hundred percent. I feel like the, like what happened with GameStop, like is just a little example of how community can push back on systems. And I feel like that's what we are doing for education. Like, what can we, how can we put pressure on the systems? Because we have the community of students who are together. I love that. I love that you were like, so frustrated by the system. You're like, don't worry, water finds a way, like it'll flow around and then eventually it'll erode too, right? So mm, Very poetic. Exactly. I'm a poet, Jordan. Sarah has a master's <laughs> in poetry, so watch out. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for joining us amanda it was great talking to you really really awesome to to learn about fiveball and about how you built it and where you're going next yeah thanks amanda awesome yeah really appreciate it all right jordan i gave that episode an a plus that's a 5.0 on the grade point scale no, is it's that four, it's i think it's 4.0 i think you can go higher than a 4.0 on gpa through ap which is relevant for fiveable. Uh-huh. I give it five stars because you always forget the star rating system. So I feel like that's it's right. Important. I got confused between the GPA and the and the rating system. That's yeah, I'm gonna deviate ninety eight percent slash five stars slash a plus, which in non honors non AP would get us to a four point GPA. You're welcome. Great, thank you for making that all equivalent. so simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But seriously, yeah, it was a great conversation. It's awesome to hear from somebody in tech who has firsthand experience in the education system. I've talked to a lot of people who run like, you know, like adult education stuff and like online learning things. And very few of them seem to actually have experience in the education system beyond maybe teaching a couple classes as a sessional here or there. So this is somebody who's a real teacher working in public education, teaching students, and seeing firsthand kind of what the difference can make when they're able to work together. Yeah, I loved it. I too loved it. Yeah, do you think about education? I mean, it's something I used to think about a lot, but I haven't as much lately, and I think this brought a lot to, to the fore. In a general sense, I think a lot about education. I always, like, particularly in election times and like anything that has to do with politics i always say like if i ran for president i would run on education which has historically never worked for any president because we're so driven by what we need right now in this moment that even folks with kids are like nah 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 like i just need tax breaks right now i don't need to spend 50 whatever spend more on my taxes just so that kids in the future get better access to education like no one wants to make any long-term investments in anything but I think that it's like the single most important thing that we could invest our money in. And I would be happy if 100% of my taxes went to education because I just think it's the most important thing. Would you be happy when the roads crumbled and then you're like, oh, I should have put some of that into roads? I mean, I feel like you're missing the forest for the trees here <laughs> a little bit. The point is, I think that education is very, very important. And I think our system's super, super broken. And I 
I wish it wasn't because I don't think that we can solve any of our biggest problems unless our young people are smarter than we were. <laughs> well, yeah, they've got to be a lot smarter than us in particular. You don't even count Canada. Your, your education system is pretty good. You, I heard you speak it French pretty, once. Yeah. I mean, right. nothing can solve the fact that you chose to get a degree in creative writing. That was a poor choice. But I'm sure that before that <laughs> moment, your education was solid. It was, except for when I failed calculus, which we can I didn't talk even about take another calculus. Time, Let's talk about the fact that I went through like full primary school and also college and never ended up taking calculus. How did that happen? I don't think I needed it. I'm doing fine, but still. Who knows what could have happened? What could have been? Could have been a world renowned mathematician. Yeah. Well, Fiveable will give that possible future to other students who are not yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Our time is over. <laughs> they, can, they can succeed. <laughs> we have failed. I'm hoping you stopped listening, audience, and that you were uplifted <laughs> by our conversation with Amanda, and then you just quit out. That was the right call. See you next week. <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington, and by TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ishad Kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall. And Maggie Stamets is our associate producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Our guest this week was Amanda Doamaral, co-founder and CEO at Fiveable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and call us and leave us a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.